0: Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for a beautiful Sabbath day, the wonderful sunshine outside, even though it's cool. And Lord, we thank you for the special time of year where we can remember the goodness and the blessings that you've given to us. And Father, we really want to hear from your word this morning. We want your spirit to speak to our hearts and our minds, and we need you to direct our thoughts and our conversation. So, Father, we pray that you would come and that you would speak to each one of us, that you would clear the distractions. And Lord, that you would speak clearly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanksgiving is an interesting time to me. First of all, because it's probably one of my favorite holidays. I don't know about you, but it's just nice to not have to worry about getting people gifts, but yet being able to get together as family. And uh, this Thanksgiving, Ariel and I have some great things to be thankful for. One of which, we're expecting our first child, and uh, wanted to let you know... Don't hear it from other people if they would have told you don't believe them. But yes, it's true. We're having our first child, May 17. We're excited, and so we're thankful that you can help raise them. But also, we're thankful for many other things, our family and all the big blessings. But something that's ironic to me about Thanksgiving is that even though there's great blessings and great joy, and it's supposed to be a time where we're praising the great things that God has done, studies show that November and December are the greatest times for depression of any other time in the years. Are you guys aware of that? Have you heard that before? That during the holiday season, more than any other time, people tend to discouragement and depression and anxiety. Now, there's many things that contribute to this. Some of them, they lost family members, and it's just not the same without them. Others lose family members on Thanksgiving. We had that just happen this Thursday. We lost one of our members at Frost and the family's grieving that loss other people it's just the routine is messed up and and life comes into play and it feels like even though it's a time when you should be giving thanks that it's a time when your heart is the heaviest and maybe some of you can relate to that i come from a divorced family where it's hard to come together and feel like your family's ever complete for any holiday but in spite of that god still calls us to give thanks not just on thanksgiving but every day of the year now When I think of Thanksgiving, one of the passages that comes to mind most readily is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, and this is what was just read for the scripture reading, and I would like us to open our Bibles and turn there to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, and we're going to spend some time looking at the fourth chapter of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, I think if Paul would have written a Thanksgiving letter, it would have been the book of Philippians. More than any other book in the Bible, Philippians talks about rejoicing. You know, Paul says the word rejoice more than any other letter in all of the New Testament, which is, a, which is shocking to me because it's one of the smallest letters that he ever wrote. But yet, Paul is calling people and God is calling people to have an attitude of rejoicing. Now notice with me, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord how often? Only on Thanksgiving. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now, how many of you have ever read this passage and thought Paul must be so disconnected from reality in order to be able to rejoice continually? Have any of you been tempted to think that? How is it possible to be happy all the time? In order to rejoice, you have to have some things going on in your life, right? You have to be thankful, you have to be grateful, maybe experiencing peace. And Paul is telling us that we're supposed to have this attitude of rejoicing continually. Now, for some of you, you may not be as pessimistic as I am. Um, For those of you who don't know that, I struggle with seeing the negative side of life. Um, I struggled with depression for years and different struggles of that nature. And so often when I would hear this passage, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice... I would group it in my mind with the, the passages in scripture that say pray without ceasing. And other things that I thought were impossible. And so I would put it all in that basket and just continue out my day. And think that it was okay to feel negative. But what's interesting about this passage. Is that God is giving us a command or, or a, a desire of his. And that is that we would be rejoicing always. Now this morning what we're going to look at is how is it possible to rejoice continually, to have this attitude of thanksgiving, not just one day a year, but how can we have this as a lifestyle where our lives are filled with the joy of Jesus, regardless of what's taking place in our lives. This morning we're going to see three key elements that Paul talks about of how we can have an attitude of rejoicing even in the midst of difficulty. Now, in order to understand this passage fully, we have to understand the context in which it was written. Now, when we look at the book of Philippians, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And where was Paul when he was writing this letter? Does anyone know? Paul was in prison, right? And you see in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7 and 13, that Paul talks about being in chains. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you were in prison... And you were bound by a bunch of people who didn't believe like you did. Now, we have to think a little bit deeper, too. What was the view of Christians during the time of Paul? Were they favorable or negative? negative? Very negative. Now, when Paul was in prison, he was imprisoned by a bunch of people that hated Christians. Now, you see the effect of how much they hated Christians. I have a letter at home that was written from one of the local governors to one of the Caesars. And he says, I don't know what to do with this Christian problem. We're doing everything we can to get them to recant their faith, to worship the pagan gods. And once we have done all that we can, we persecute them to death for their faith. Now this is the environment that Paul is living in. He's not just in prison getting his wonderful meals every day, but he's surrounded by people who would be happier if he was dead than if he was living. And in the midst of this circumstance, Paul is able to write the book in the Bible that we've talked about out of any letter that he's ever written that tells people to rejoice more than any other letter. You know, 1 Corinthians is quite a bit longer than Philippians. But yet, in these four short chapters, Paul is focusing on rejoicing and thanksgiving to God. And my question is, how is it possible that Paul, even in the midst of this difficult situation, could have an attitude of rejoicing? Now, is that an attitude you would want? Would you want to be able to be in prison, being able to go through hard experiences, yet rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord? Well, I believe that Paul gives us these three key elements so that we, too, can experience the joy that he had. Now, notice with me once again verse 4. Paul doesn't just say rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Do you see that? Instead, Paul says rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, what's the difference there? What's the difference if Paul would have just said rejoice, and again I say rejoice, right? Instead of rejoice in the Lord. Is there a difference between the two? the object. Why are you rejoicing, right? You see, Paul, when he's rejoicing, he doesn't say rejoice in circumstances, right? You don't see that. You don't say rejoice because of your financial situation. Rejoice because of your family condition. But instead, Paul says the key to rejoicing is rejoicing in the Lord. How many of you can say amen to that? You know, we may look at our lives and say we have absolutely nothing going for us. Now, I would say that's a cognitive distortion, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But oftentimes we feel that way, right? There's nothing good happening. Maybe our family looks like it's falling apart. Maybe our financial situation looks discouraging. Maybe work is a terrible place to be, or our teachers just don't like us at school. Now, I know that doesn't happen at this school, okay, so don't, don't get off at that. But all of the things could be crumbling down in our lives, and we could be thinking, Lord, how is it possible for me to rejoice? But Paul gives us the very first, and I believe one of the most important keys, and that is that we find our joy in Jesus, not in the circumstances around us. Now, notice with me Psalm 103. David has a similar experience that he describes Psalm 103, why is it that David was so happy? Is this the same reason that Paul was happy? Psalm 103, and we'll begin in verse 1. Psalm chapter 103, beginning in verse 1. Now David begins this psalm by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, when I read this passage the first time, I'm not going to lie to you, I was actually quite discouraged and I just stumbled upon Psalm 103. And I remember reading it and I thought, why in the world is David so happy? Why is he just praising the Lord with all of his soul? Notice what David continues on to say. He doesn't praise the Lord for any circumstantial reason, but he continues on in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, and He has made His ways known to Moses and His acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Do you notice the central theme of David's praise in this psalm? The reason why David can bless the Lord and praise the Lord with all of his soul is not because of his financial condition, not because of the condition of his family or his workplace or his environment or, or circumstances around him. But the reason why David can praise the Lord and the reason why Paul can praise the Lord is because of the goodness that there is in Jesus. You see, David understood what it meant to be forgiven. David praised God and the first thing that he said is that he forgives all my iniquities. How many of you can praise the Lord for the same thing? You look back on your life and like David, you have David and Bathsheba moments. You knew that you walked away from God, you went against His will, you did things that when you think about the consequences, you think about the situation, you just wish no one would ever find out. And not only does the Lord forgive us, but what does it say? He redeems your life from destruction. He doesn't just say, well, I forgive you and you're going to continue to live an outcast of a life." But no, He redeems us from destruction and then He crowns us. Who wears crowns? Royalty, Right? He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. The Lord exalts our position to something we never deserved, only based on His mercy. He also says, Who who heals all thy diseases. Now some people may wonder, Well, I haven't seen God heal every disease that I've prayed to be healed from. But yet we have the promise in the great hereafter that the Lord will permanently heal all of these diseases. He may choose to do it here, But if I could have one of the two, I'd want it for eternity. And God promises that He will heal these diseases, that He'll redeem our lives from destruction. And when David and when Paul is sitting in his prison cell, the reason why he can say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, is because he remembers the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the power of Jesus in his life. One of the most shocking times in my life was going to Africa for the first time. It was in 2005, and I remember I was visiting the country of Malawi, which some have said is the third poorest country in the continent. And I remember coming there and getting off the airplane, and if someone would have offered me a plane ticket back to America, I would have taken it immediately. And I'm not just saying that jokingly. I remember coming off the plane, and even in the airport, seeing the filth that was all around and just the decay of life. I remember walking out in the street to the car and there's a meat market there and you can just smell the rotting food and you can see the flies hovering around and you see the people malnourished. And we climbed I climbed into the back seat of an old Toyota that had no shocks. Now if you think Michigan roads are bad, you should drive in Africa a little bit and when you come back, you'll be very grateful for our highways. And as we were going, you know, I'm just feeling every bump and it's compressing my spine. I'm thinking, man, what is wrong with this country? Like, Can't they just pave something? At least put some gravel in that hole or something. But nothing. I mean, terrible road conditions. And as we finally get to the homes, I realize it's not just the roads and the smells, but it's it's the condition that the people permanently live in. As we were driving, I remember seeing this bridge, and on the under the bridge was this river. And on one side of the river, people were bathing and and washing their clothing and things of that nature. And on the other side of the river, the animals are in there, and the people are in there using the restroom. Now, this is just their normal condition. They're also getting water from that same river to take back for drinking water. And they're going through all of this chaos. And I looked and saw the little boys go to the garbage heaps. And while the garbage was on fire, they would start pulling out anything they could to eat. And they would find anything valuable, and they'd put it together and make little toys and I just couldn't... I was mind-blown. I was so depressed by the situation that I saw. But even more than the terrible condition, what shocked me the most was the happiness of the people. Now, I can honestly say with a clear conscience that the people in Africa and the five different continents or five different countries that I visited are the happiest people that I had ever met. I've never met poorer people. But when we were leaving... People were giving us gifts, not out of their abundance, but out of their sacrifice. You have to realize that the pastors there were making $40 a year. Now, not only that, the farthest church was a 10-hour walk one way. Yet the people are just rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. One thing they loved to do for us was to bring the choirs in and sing for our group. And they'd bring the choir in and they would sing with all this energy and gusto. And we'd ask one of the locals, you know, what are they singing about? And without fail, almost every song was they were singing of the hope that they have in Jesus. That there was soon coming a day where Jesus was coming back. You see, for these people, the reason why they were so happy is because they had a true hope and joy in Jesus. It wasn't because of their living conditions. I remember walking into houses that had no roofs and no floors, just dirt. But yet they were full of joy because of what Jesus was doing in their lives. One of our friends moved back from Kenya to the United States and she says one of the most shocking things for her was when she got here to the United States, she went to her local church and they asked if anyone had any praises. And so she shared and not many others shared. And, you know, to me, that didn't sound like an odd story. I was thinking that's normal church, you know, but she said this, this shocked me. In Africa, every person has something to share about the goodness of the Lord. Something new every week. God is working in people's lives. But yet I come here to America where people claim to have everything physically and materially. But yet they have nothing to be grateful for. Brothers and sisters, if we want to rejoice in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord doesn't start with a little better financial situation. Sure, we need finances to get along. But rejoicing in the Lord really comes when we realize that God is much better than our circumstances could ever be. That Jesus is faithful. That we have a loving Savior who's sitting at the right hand of the Father pleading on our behalf. When we understand this, how can we not have joy in the Lord? And like Paul says, to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, not only does Paul stop there, but what I love about Philippians chapter 4 is that Paul understands that we don't just live perfect lives. In other words, it's not just a life of rejoicing without any problems, but we all have difficulties and struggles that we go through. Notice with me Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul continues on this discussion how is it that we can rejoice in the Lord always? First, we realize that it find, we find our joy. In Jesus, not in circumstances. But secondly, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 be anxious for. What does it say? Now, how many of you sometimes don't like this passage of Scripture? It says, be anxious or be worried about nothing. Now, what does that exclude? Nothing, right? Everything is comprised. In other words, there is no reason. To be worried or to be anxious. Now, I'm a worrywart. You know, that's just my nature. I tend to worry about everything. I'm a perfectionist. Everything has to be in line and in order. And if it's not, great anxiety seeps into my heart. But here, just like in verse 4, it seems almost just as impossible as rejoicing in the Lord always. How is that possible? Well, we find our joy in Jesus. Well, how is it that we can be anxious for nothing? Notice what Paul continues on to say. Instead of being anxious for nothing, it says, but in everything, by prayer and what? Supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what I love about this passage of Scripture is that God shows us that we have a choice. We, one, can be anxious about everything and not take anything to Him in prayer. Or we might even take things to him in prayer, but we still hold on to the anxiety. Or we can be anxious for nothing by allowing the Lord to take care of our problems. Now, I know there's many sitting here saying, well, that's one of the most cliche things I've heard in quite a while. You know, Take your problems to the Lord. He answers them. But what does that look like? I remember my last year in college, the professor assigned this project and the project was called the Jesus and I project and he gave the parameters of the project and he told us what he wanted us to do in this project was to find the most challenging area in our lives and ask for the Lord to help us with it now you know people went through a whole list of different problems you know what projects they were going to work on and I had just come across this verse a few days before this project started And when I tell you that anxiety and worry is a problem, I don't just mean like it's something that happens every once in a while, Ariel smiling, but it's something that is, it can be a continual struggle if we don't surrender it. And so when I read this project, when I read this passage and I heard of the project, I thought, well, Lord, you know, there's nothing else that I can think of that's a greater struggle in my life than just not trusting you and worrying about everything that takes place. So I picked the project, not thinking it would be an easy A, because I knew it was going to be a struggle. And I just started to memorize this passage of Scripture. You know, the Bible tells us, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I what? Might not sin against thee, right? And if the Bible tells me, be anxious for nothing, I want to memorize that promise in that passage. So I remember memorizing it, and that very next weekend, I was asked to preach at a church. And I remember being backstage, getting ready to go up to preach... And all of a sudden, anxiety and worry started to fill my heart. And at the same time, the verse came into my mind, be anxious for nothing. And there was no exclusion cause except for preaching, right? But be anxious for nothing. And I thought, Lord, well... You know, I'm just, I want to experience this. You know, peace that passes all understanding, right? Instead of worrying about situations. And so I said, Lord, you know, I don't know how to do this. I can't preach the best. I don't have the best ability. You know what I've done. I just pray that you would please intervene and bless the people in spite of it. And you know, the Lord took away that feeling of anxiety and, and utter remorse that was in my heart. Now, it wasn't just that one scenario, but we were actually living in kind of a difficult scenario. Our apartment rental was about six hundred and twenty five dollars a month and we only made about twice that every month and Ariel and I were just newly married plus we had a fourteen thousand dollar school bill to pay for without loans and we had a car payment plus you have to buy groceries and you get the scenario and I was thinking man how is it that we're gonna make it financially and I'm losing sleep over this and I'm just wrestling with God what are we gonna do On top of that, I'm taking 17 credit hours, so I can't work a whole ton. And then I'm working for a church that's five hours away one direction. So every weekend, I'd get off of class at 1 o'clock on Friday, drive home, eat food, pack the car, drive there, have Vespers, go to church, have AY in the evening with the church, Sunday morning, drive back, and then try to do homework for a couple hours. And I'm thinking, Lord, how is this ever going to work out? But during this time, I'm still pleading with the Lord, Lord, help me to experience what this passage really means, right? I'm just giving you one scenario. This may not cover all of yours. But the principle is that I would take every request to God. And I didn't know exactly which request to take or what was really on my mind, but I can give you one thing that really helped me. Whenever I would start to pray, there was things that would distract my mind, like the financial situation of our family. Or things that would distract my mind, like my grades in school. And so what do you think the things that I should be praying about were? Those things, right? And so instead of just praying the formal prayers of, Lord, thank you for this day and all those things, I would start to pray, Lord, please, just intervene in this financial thing. Just work it out. And by the grace of God, we were able to leave there without any debt and money and savings. I don't know how the Lord can do it. We were able to leave there seeing better grades than we'd ever seen before. The church was blessed and all all different things were happening. And what I saw at the end of the day was that my problems were not fixed because of my ability, but my problems were fixed because I was able to allow God to fix them. You see, when we aren't able to let go of our problems and our anxieties, the reality is is that there's a trust issue going on. In other words, we think we're the only ones who can solve our problems. And so we mull them over and over and over again, and we're trying to strategize to see how we can fix them. But God tells us, That if we would just come to him in our utter need and say, Lord, I can't figure it out. I don't know how to do it. You know, this is stressing me out. You tell me to rejoice always, but I'm totally concerned about this. Or the person who just died in my family. It's overwhelming grief. Lord, how is it that I can ever have peace? Do you believe that the God who created the universe out of nothing can take care of the problems in your lives? You see, this is a passage that we see all throughout Scripture. The same idea is that we need to cast our cares upon the Lord, right? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, casting all of our cares upon Him for He cares for us. We also realize that Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 that we are to trust in the Lord with what? All of our own ability? No, all of our heart. And lean not on our own understanding but in all of our ways acknowledge Him and He will direct our paths. See, the second key to experiencing a life of rejoicing and thanksgiving is not only, one, to find joy in Jesus instead of circumstances, but two, is to trust Jesus enough to believe that He can take care of our problems. I believe that when we plead with the Lord, that when we open our heart to Him, sure, we might feel like, isn't there more that I can do? But God can take those problems away and give us what? A peace that passes all understanding. Notice what verse 7 says. After we've done this, after we've been anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, brought our request to God, verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, I don't even understand why I feel this peaceful, Right? The world might be crumbling around you, but yet you have a peace in Jesus. And he says, we'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How many of you long for that peace? Lord, I just want to have this peace that passes all understanding. I want to stop carrying the weight of the world. If Jesus can carry the sins of the world, I think He can take care of my little issues or my big issues. And Lord, I know that You can guard my heart. You can help me to not experience this anxiety. And I plead that you would make it a reality. Now notice the final thing. We've seen two principles. Trusting in the Lord, not circumstances. Trusting that God can take care of our problems. But notice number three. And it might seem a little bit disjointed at first, but we're going to realize that it comes with a great key of finding peace. Notice verse 8. Finally, my brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now when I initially read this, I thought Paul is talking about rejoicing, and having this attitude of continually rejoicing. What is focusing on these characteristics in verse 8 really tell me about living a life of thanksgiving and rejoicing. But notice with me what this passage says. What are the things that we're supposed to be meditating or thinking or focusing on? It gives us some very clear characteristics, right? It says whatsoever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, Think on these things, right? but how often do we try to we we want a life of rejoicing we want a life of thanksgiving but instead of thinking on the positive things we often focus on the negative things can any of you relate to that there's one of my favorite books and it's called the lost art of thinking it's by a doctor named neil nedley and what he writes in the book is he talks about just the very way that we think about different issues and situations in our life transforms the way that we view reality. In other words, situations around us might not even be falling apart, but in our view of reality, life can be the worst it could possibly be. Let me give you a few examples of this. One of the things is the idea of a negative filter. In other words, everything that you see is just bad. I'll give you an example of a scenario that we just had recently. So Thursday, Ariel and I had to spend all day on a plane instead of with family at Thanksgiving. Now, that could have been a negative thing, right? But we realized that there's some positive things in life, so we happily went about. Now, there was a positive thing that happened. When we got to the airport, they upgraded us both to be able to sit on seats with larger legroom. That was a great blessing, right? Kind of nice for a long flight. Now, the next thing that happened wasn't so positive, though. I I reached up to grab my carry-on luggage to put it up there, and as I pulled it back, the bin was broken, and it ripped my new jacket. Okay, that's not very good. Now, the next thing that happened was good. Um, We had a conversation with a guy who was agnostic, really looking to know if God was real and cared about him. We talked to him, shared Glow Tracks. He was just excited. We connected on Facebook. Having more Facebook friends is wonderful. No, I mean spiritual conversation. It was a blessing, right? So that was a good experience. Well, the next experience was we got on another plane, and there was an open seat next to me. I was upgraded with more leg room, and I asked if my wife could sit next to me because there was no one else there, and the flight wasn't full, and they said, no, your wife can't sit next to you. And now, immediately, I thought, I could think that this whole day was terrible, right? Now, this is just an issue of the, what reality looks like in most lives, right? Every day, to some degree, we have positive things and we have negative things. And yeah, maybe it's not with airplanes, and there's bigger issues, and there's smaller issues, and whatever it may be. But every day we're faced with a choice on how we're going to view reality. It would be easy to say, man, you know, this whole day is terrible. I have to spend it flying, I'm not with family. First my jacket rips, and then, you know, then I can't even sit with my wife. You know, this is just a bunch of terrible people. Or you can focus on the good things, right? Or you can just be honest with yourself and say there's good and bad, but I'm going to choose to have a good day. I think every day of life, we're faced with these different choices. Now there's a whole bunch of other 10 areas that he breaks down on ways in which that we often claim that the world is much worse than it is. For example, if someone says something mean to you, you turn around to that person and say, you're always a mean person and you're the worst person in the world. Now is that true? No, they probably say some nice things to you. And are they the worst person in the world? Well, you haven't met every person in the world. So probably not. And you can just start realizing that the way you view reality, is it true? No. And you don't even need outside scenarios to prove that. But in your own mind, you start to think that things are worse than they are. Now, that's just one aspect. But focusing and meditating on what's good and what is pure and noble and lovely scientifically does make a large difference in our lives. I was actually kind of shocked to find this research. It was from Psychology Today. There was an article in a study that had been done. And notice what the study says. It turns out that what you watch, read, listen to, and play can affect your mood, temper, and even how generous and kind you are to others afterward. Now, this isn't my words. I'm reading from their their site. In other words, what you watch what you spend time with, what you meditate on affects your mood and also your behavior. Now, the study continues. They, they serve you to, surveyed a group of people who are watching negative content and reading negative content and playing negative video games. And notice what they say. People who watched as little as 15 minutes of negative TV news, Okay, we're not talking about a terrible movie, this is just bad news, have shown increases in depressed mood, anxiety, and a tendency to be more catastrophic about their own personal worries. Have any of you ever seen that happen? You go in, you're you're feeling all right, then you watch the evening news, and you go to bed feeling even worse than you did when you started. Studies show that just after 15 minutes of that, your anxiety and your depression increases, and your generosity decreases. Now, how many of you think we should be spending lots of time focusing on those things? I would say not. Now, notice what they continue on to say. Watching violent sequences in movies and TV can lead to increase in blood pressure, heart rate, and skin response, and to short-term increases in aggressive outbursts in adults. In other words, what you watch is what you become. You get high blood pressure, you get anxiety, and you start lashing out towards others. Do you think what we watch and what we meditate on is important? Do you think God knew what he was talking about? Notice this one, and this was shocking to me, talking about magazines and its effect on ladies. It says, Women and girls who are exposed to as much as three minutes, three minutes with a fashion magazine in a waiting room, show immediate and significant increase in depressed moods and feeling of low self-esteem. Isn't that unbelievable? Unbelievable. Now you say, why in the world would that happen? Well, let me ask you a question. Do, do those magazines fit into the mold of the characteristics that Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 has laid out for us? Number one, is it true? Are those images that you're seeing true to life? No, they're photoshopped, right? Are they noble? Well, not really. They're kind of um, not clothed very well. And, you know, you go through the whole list of things and you realize that if we would focus on true reality that we wouldn't be affected by all of the other things put out. At the end of this study, what it talks about is what you watch and what you read and what you meditate on affects who you are and affects your happiness. Now, do you think Paul knew what he was talking about when he says, if you want to rejoice in the Lord always, first of all, you need to rejoice in the Lord, not in circumstances. Then you need to trust in the Lord that he can take care of your problems. And number three, you need to meditate on that which is good. Now, how many of us wonder why we walk around life with increased anxiety and depression and all the other cares of this world, and yet we're watching things that would only increase this depression and our anxiety, and, and we don't seem to want to discontinue that? The study, some different studies go, went on to say that the reason why people wanted to watch those things is because it felt true to life to them. In other words, they wanted to watch a bad movie about all these aggressive things that were happening because that's what they were feeling inside. And if they could watch it, then they felt connected with that movie. Does that make sense? But instead of feeding that passion, what if we were to spend time meditating truly on what the Bible says? The things that are true, the things that are noble, the things that are lovely, pure, of good report. What would happen in our lives? Do you think that we would be more sunshiny Christians? Do you think that the Lord can help us to be happier people who experience the peace and joy as there is in Jesus? I believe God wants us to be a people who are happier than any others. John chapter 10 verse 10 tells us that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's John 17, 3. John 10, 10 says that I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly as we think about thanksgiving, God not only wants it to be one day in the year, but God wants us to be a people who live a life of thanksgiving. that we're constantly giving thanks to God. We're constantly rejoicing. God doesn't want us to be depressed and discouraged, but Jesus wants us to understand the peace that there is in him. How many of you this morning say, Lord, I want to have this experience? I realize that it might take some modification in even the way I'm living. Maybe I won't be watching that stuff that's filling my mind with this junk. I'll spend more time with the Bible, understanding the goodness of Jesus. Maybe I need to start trusting Jesus more. And the best way to do that is to get to know Him. Amen? I want to pray my prayers in a more real way. I want to have an open heart communion with God to tell Him this is what's actually on my heart. And Lord, I want to be more concerned and focused on your goodness instead of my circumstances. Is that your desire this morning? Lord, help me to have that experience. You know, one thing I'd like to challenge you with, for those of you who are experiencing great anxiety or maybe just want a little more happiness, take some time to memorize Philippians chapter 4. Maybe just verse 4 through 8, really powerful passage. Maybe just verse 6 and 7 where it talks about giving our cares to God. It was such a transforming time in my life. During that same time, I memorized Psalm chapter 103, you know, maybe spending some time putting those passages into our mind, reading it every morning. How many of you want to say, I want to fill my mind with those things? I want to fill my mind with good things that remind me of the goodness of the Lord. This morning, if that's your desire, why don't we stand together as we sing our closing song? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,